All right, now the key, of course, to the capability of anyone to forgive is the, the little phrase, as God, even as God. That's, of course, the whole key to that, isn't it? And be kind to one another. How can we do that? Every, you know, tenderhearted. Ooh, that's even harder. And then forgiving one another seems impossible. And then the apostle throws in that clincher, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's why it's possible. That's why we have a motive and a reason. That's why we can obey uh, that verse and that teaching because of what Christ has done for you. In his book called The Sunflower, um, a Jewish fellow named Simon Weisenthal uh, talks about a repentant um, Secret Service trooper, SS trooper uh, from the Nazi army in a concentration camp. And he talks about how um, uh, during their raids on local Jewish communities, there was a house full of Jews in which the Nazis set it on fire with orders to the uh, Nazi soldiers to shoot anyone who tried to escape. Uh, a father jumped from the window with a child, followed by the mother, and they were shot. Years later, this Nazi uh, was talking to Simon Weisenthal, and he said, I know that what I've told you is terrible. He says, quote, I've longed to talk about it to a Jew and beg forgiveness from him. I know that what I'm asking is almost too much, but without your answer, I cannot die in peace. In this book, The Sunflower, Simon Weisenthal described his response. He says, I stood up, I looked in his direction at his folded hands, and then, without a word, I left the room. He could not find it within him to forgive that atrocious act. He writes that he struggled with that decision for the remainder of his life. And I suppose a question that could be asked is, what would you and I have done if we had been in his shoes, imagining such a horrible atrocities being committed and for someone to almost nonchalantly say, well, could you forgive me for what I did? Um, well, let me suggest to you that my message tonight is just the case for forgiveness. And it's something that uh, I, I uh, talk a lot about uh, when I'm counseling people, when I'm sharing with people that are struggling. And I really find that forgiveness is an important part of the, the kind of life God wants us to have. That if we don't wrestle through this and, and really deal with this issue of forgiveness, um, we're going to struggle with a lot of, a lot of things. And so uh, it's something that you know, God works in my life, and I hope it can work in your life as well from his word there. But let me share with you just some objections to forgiveness, objections. Um, Brother Jim, I've got my wireless on plus the mic. Am I too loud? Am I doing something wrong? It just seems like there's a lot of feedback to me, but if it's good to you, that's good. I'm good with that. I um, just want, don't want to overwhelm anything here. Some objections to forgiveness. Maybe you've heard them. Maybe they've come from your own heart. One is that forgiveness seems to minimize sin. Somebody asked me to forgive them, and maybe that's what Simon Weisenthal was thinking when this uh, former SS trooper says, well, could you forgive me? It seems like that just minimized the, the horror and suffering of, of those uh, six million Jews and all the suffering that they went through. And sometimes it does seem like that, that forgiveness, if we don't fully comprehend what it involves, is appearing to minimize sin. Almost like um, uh, in Spanish, when you, uh, when, you're, when you say thank you or I'm sorry, often a response might be de nada, which means simply it's nothing, it's nothing. Um, which is minimizing the offense. It's nothing, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, we don't want to give a de nada in, in a true forgiveness scenario. 
we deal with the sin as it truly is, a horrific offense against God and man, whatever the nature of the matter was, and then we actually forgive it, but we don't minimize it. Now, take a look at Proverbs 10, 12 with me. There are some offenses that I believe the Bible teaches we can cover with love and not necessarily have to go through the process of confrontation and um, perhaps making a mountain out of a molehill. And I think this is a principle, Proverbs ten twelve. Several of the verses have this idea. I think this was uh, also repeated partially in James chapter 5. Hatred, the New King James says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And I think a principle there from the wisest man who ever lived is that some offenses, um, more in the line of personal insults maybe, not necessarily grievous sins, we can cover. Um, minor social infractions. Somebody didn't shake my hand today. They walked right by me. Uh, they must, you know, I can't believe they did that. Someone forgot my birthday, uh, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, we can, based upon this passage, say in our hearts, I know that person. I know it wasn't intentional. I'm not going to take an offense where none was given. Where none was. We talked about that in our Sunday school class. So I can cover that with love. And be done with it. And I never even have to talk to that person about it. I have, I have dealt with it in my own heart, and I know it wasn't, it wasn't meant, it wasn't intended to hurt or injure or to in any way offend me. And so I cover it with love, and it's, it's gone. I've covered it with love. That is one way to deal with some offenses. And I think it's a biblical way to do that because if we dealt with every single possible scenario that could upset us, we'd be doing that all day long, 24 hours a day, wouldn't we? There has to be some things, generally minor things, that we can let go. Look at Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife. Now, he's not talking about the full-fledged battle, but the beginning of strife is like the releasing of water, or is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. I think that kind of goes along with, you know, we can nip some things in the bud before it becomes something huge, and, and uh, you know, we, we, can, we can, you know, hey, no big deal, okay? Uh, we're not going to let this get huge. We're just going to move on, all right? Let's not let this get out of control here. We can kind of stomp out the little tiny fire before it becomes something else. Proverbs 19.11 more wisdom along this same line. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Now that doesn't sounds like at first glance we're minimizing sin, but I believe the point of this is rather than reacting quickly and fiery with indignation, we can be patient, hear the whole thing out, and then we can we can overlook these minor things because we realize they weren't intended. They're not worth getting all bent out of shape about, and I can, I can deal with that. And uh, he, Proverbs says that's glory. It's glory. It's a good thing. It's something to be emulated, something to upheld. This is a man or a woman who is slow to anger, and it's a glory to overlook a personal insult. That's how I'm looking at that. Not, not, not grievous Ten Commandments kind of sins, but I can overlook a personal transgression. I can overlook the slap on my cheek, as Jesus said, and I can turn the other one off. So it's a personal insult. So I think that's wisdom. But sometimes forgiveness does look like it's over, uh, maybe it's minimizing sin. 
And, uh, and they think that's a wrong conclusion because that's not what forgiveness is all about. But it never means to gloss over uh, serious sin. A second um, argument or a second, uh, a second objection to forgiveness is this. Forgiveness seems to make me more vulnerable to further hurt. It's kind of like the, um, uh, you know, when I forgive, I become the weak link in the chain or, and everyone else pounces on me because I've forgiven. They know I'm, I'm an easy target, and so they just pounce on me some more, and eventually I just am overwhelmed by all the people bullying me or taking advantage of me. And that's the idea. To forgive makes me a target that I'm easy to take advantage of. And, um, and that's, a, that's a false uh, objection, too. It doesn't necessarily make us vulnerable to hurt, but it does help us to follow some of Christ's teaching, one of which in Matthew 18, 21, is to forgive 70 times 7. Um, that is to not necessarily keep track. It's three times would be enough. Can I forgive him seven times? What's a, what's a holy number? And Jesus said, you know, how about 70 times 7? Way beyond what you're saying. Uh, in other words, Jesus says, don't set some limit for how often you can forgive. That this and no further kind of a thing, you know. Um, that's not for us to do. Um, but there's a real concern that many people do think this way, that it makes them more of a victim. And that's just not the case from what I understand the Scriptures to teach. A third objection is that forgiveness sometimes seems it puts an unfair responsibility on the victim, right? Thinking about Matthew 18. Oh, if someone's offended you, you go to the offender and try to make it right, right? Right? I mean, that's the teaching. And some would say, well, that makes me... Having, have an undue responsibility. I mean, I'm the one that was hurt. I'm the one that was offended. And now I'm supposed to seek this person out and try to make things right. That seems, uh, at first glance, kind of unfair. Um, and, of course, when we start getting into the areas where some of these sins are just life-destroying, I mean, uh, sexual nature and, and abuse uh, and these kinds of things, obviously, it's, it's so unbelievably painful that to simply casually say, well, you just got to go to that person and deal with it, seems a little callous. And I agree with that. I definitely do agree with that. Um, but I, as we look at the, what Jesus taught about this idea of the offended, going to the offender, I think one of the principles that we need to keep in mind is that sometimes the offender, not every time, but sometimes the offender may not be aware of his sin against you. He may not be aware. And if you don't tell him, who will? Now, if it's a grievous sin and, you know, uh, you know it's, it's, it's obviously he knows what he did, that may be a little different. Uh, but I think the, the principle that Jesus uh, places is that um, by going to the one who offended you, you're the only one who can clearly delineate what happened, right? Because if you, if you say, hey, um, you know, you hurt me, you tell me what you did, I don't know what I did. I don't know what I could have done. I'm not sure how much I hurt you. So it's the, the object of the offense is the only one who can truly express how deeply he or she's been hurt, the nature of what happened. And as they b- begin to talk, Jesus says, if he hears you, you've won him back. The word win there uh, in Matthew 18 is, is the idea of a treasure that's been found and recovered. It's, it's you've won him back. Kind of like you win the lottery, you know. Uh, you've won this amazing thing. You've won back the relationship with your brother in the Lord. And so um, there, there, is, there is that responsibility, but I don't think it's unfair because, of course, it comes from our Savior. There's a lot of reasons for that. And then a final objection. It seems like it doesn't honor justice. It doesn't honor justice. That when I forgive somebody, they're not being punished. 
and I think they need to hurt like they hurt me. And so it seems like that there's no justice. It seems unfair. And again, I think it's a, a misunderstanding of the whole nature of forgiveness. So let's talk about what forgiveness truly is. Forgiveness does not deny the reality of one's pain. Um, when somebody forgives, we're not saying, uh, you're just overreacting, you know you, you know, you just want some attention, that kind of thing. It doesn't do that at all. I think in the process of biblical forgiveness, the genuineness of the pain has to be and must be a part of the forgiveness transaction, and it is a transaction. There's a, there's a giving and there's a receiving. There's a granting of forgiveness and there's a receiving of forgiveness. Both have to happen. Uh, it's not a letting the offender off the hook. It's dealing with the sin by naming it and explaining it and bringing the other person to bear with the actual sin and then moving from that point forward. Now how do we deal with this? But not letting anybody off the hook. <laughs> I got off. I got away with that, 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 that wrongdoing. And I don't believe it's unfair because the process of forgiveness is demonstrated by our Heavenly Father. And he is in no way unjust or unforgiving. So when he teaches us in his word how to forgive, he, does it, uh, he teaches us what he already practices. Now, the, 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 let's go to uh, Luke chapter 7. Um, and I'm telling you, I, I deal with this idea of forgiveness all the time. In fact, uh, a lot of times when problems come up, that's the first thing I ask now is, is, is there some unforgiveness in your heart? <laughs> because very often that's the issue. And sometimes it goes all the way back to childhood and how a dad treated somebody and like the older sister better than the younger, you know, that kind of thing. And there can be some bitterness over the years. But very often, very often, a lot of the spiritual struggles we face um, may deal with uh, unforgiveness uh, or, uh, or un- unbiblical um, forgiveness. It didn't quite do what it was supposed to do. The, um, in this passage in Luke chapter 7, You ever try to find a verse in your Bible when you're talking? It's almost impossible. Right, we've got this passage here of the two debtors. Um, verse 41. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's roughly about two years' uh, wages. And the other 50, about a month and a half. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one to whom he forgave more. Well, obviously that's true. The person who was forgiven the most uh, will love him most because he was forgiven more. The word forgive, uh, or forgave, past tense there in verse 42, is aphiemi, and that's the common word throughout the New Testament. It means to loose or set free. It's used of setting free a bird from its cage, releasing something that was caged and held and captive, and letting it go. No, I'm not going to sing that song. <laughs> but, no, I won't. Okay, uh, so don't, you, it's letting it go. It's letting the sin, I'm sorry, it's letting the hurt and the offense and the debt go far from me and not be caged up in my heart and nursed and encouraged and nurtured and loved and tenderly cared for. But it's get it out of here. I don't want it anymore. And so in this forgiveness, um, a true debt was owed, right? It it wasn't just a pretend. Something really happened. They owed this uh, creditor actual money. So it was a real thing. It wasn't just imagined. It wasn't just, uh, I felt like you did this. This was a real debt that was owed. And there was a real obligation to pay it back. It was a real debt. 
and there was a real obligation to repay it, and there was a real forgiving of the debts. The the debt was cleared, and the creditor said, I forgive the debt for both of you. You no longer owe me anything. You are free to go. You're not under any obligation to me any longer. And that's really, uh, from a financial perspective there, the whole point of forgiveness. Let's go to Matthew 18 now. Another pair, another story about forgiveness that I think can really be helpful whenever we find ourselves in a position where we're wondering what we should do and how to deal with this kind of thing. <clears throat> All right, so here's that passage where Peter's asking, how many times should I forgive? So it's Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? There's a fee in me again. Up to seven times? He thought it was being spiritual. Thought that was a good number. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Math majors, what's that? All right, there you go, 490. Um, some translations, I think, have 77 times. Uh, but the point is, it's a lot larger than Peter was saying. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he'd begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, some of you that have study Bibles will, will take note that that's an amazingly amount of money. Millions. Yeah, millions. Um, some Some... Scholars would say, the the point is to say it was infinite. (laughs) There's no way he could ever pay it back. It was like a huge amount. But as he was not able to pay, yeah, right. How did anybody get in that kind of debt anyway? His his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payments be made. They would have never paid it all, that amount, but he'd get something back, right? right, The servant, therefore, the one who owed 10,000 talents, an infinite amount of money almost, fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. That was a lie. He, he had no means of doing that. Uh, that's like King Herod saying to Herodias' daughter, up to half my kingdom I will give you. He didn't have any kingdom. He was a puppet from Rome, but it just made him sound good. So I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, saw the tears, saw the genuine sorrow, the loss of his wife and children, released him. Now, these, these are similar. They're not the same word here, but they're very similar. To release and to forgive are almost identical in the, in the Greek text. He released him and forgave him the debt. Perhaps he, the idea is he released him uh, from, from jail, released him from prison, and then released his debt too. He was physically released and then financially released. Great, great thing, right? End of story. Happy day, right? No, let's see what happens next. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarii is a day's wages. So what are we looking about? A little over three months' worth of wages. All right? How much money a person could make in three months? Definitely um, possibly repayable, right? Nothing like his debt. Teensy compared to the first servant's debt. Minuscule, microscopic. All right, and then he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Well, he's not very nice, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him. Same thing the first servant did, right? Saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Almost exactly what the first guy said. Almost exactly the same words. And he would not, that is the first servant would not uh, listen to him, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt problem now, isn't it? That's a big problem. 
So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved. They were upset by this. And came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he'd called them, called him, said to him, the first servant, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I've had pity on you? And his master was angry, delivered him to the torturers that he should pay all that was due to him. Well, he wouldn't get out of there. He'd be in there till death. So Jesus concludes in verse 35, my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Um, All right, so let's talk about what's going on here. Real debt, real obligation to pay. In the first scenario, in this parable, uh, the king, the, the master forgives it. Good thing. Didn't have to do it, could have imprisoned him. He wasn't obligated to do it, but he chose to do that, forgive this debt. And, in this, and he goes out and finds his fellow servant who owes him just a little pittance compared to that. And he begs for forgiveness, begs him to let him try to pay it all, and he won't throw him into prison. I mean, the parallels are pretty clear here, obviously, right? I mean, when Christ dies on the cross for our sins, he takes upon himself the sin debt of the entire world. And the sin debt that we alone, individually, owe to God is immeasurable. Is it not? Isn't that the whole point of our needing Jesus to save us, to die on the cross? Because we could not pay it back. In a million years, we could never pay it back. In eternity in hell, would never pay back what we owe to God. We couldn't do that. We could never pay it back. And so the only solution is for it to be forgiven where an eternal God can pay the debt for an eternal debt. Uh, And those, you know, six hours on the cross, he's paying the penalty for our sin. Really, the final three, the darkness covers the land. He's paying the debt for all of our sin. And only an infinite eternal being could do that. No human being could do that because three hours wouldn't be enough. And eternity wouldn't be enough. So we have this immensely huge debt that we owed, and it was forgiven to us by faith in Christ. And so Jesus says, now, when you have a a debt from one of your fellow servants, and we're all servants in the kingdom, right? The master is God, right? And the servants are you and I. And um, the massive debt of the first servant is our debt of salvation, our debt of our sins and our salvation that we have, the forgiveness. And yet uh, one of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ commits a comparatively eensy-weensy sin against us, and we refuse to forgive. We refuse to, um, you know, do what God did for us. And we see towards the end of this, as the master representing God in verse 33, makes the comparison, um, the issue of compassion is there, compassion. We saw that in verse 27 also, compassion. Have you ever thought about compassion being a part of the forgiveness process? That when someone has offended us uh, and uh, we go to that person and maybe we, we talk it over and they, they, they are so upset by what they've done. They want to make it right. <laughs> what can I do? That should elicit, based upon this parable, a, a feeling of compassion and, and pity. Here's a person that's indebted to me and they really, really want me to forgive them and we can restore this relationship. And um, there's that razor's edge. I've got them where I want them, <laughs> right? 
Please, I'll do it. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Please, can you ever find it in your heart to forgive me? That kind of thing. And we're in this position now where I kind of like being here. I kind of like holding it over somebody like that, you know? Well, I'll think about it. Let me get back to you on that. Maybe uh, you can make me a few rhubarb pies before I uh, make up my mind. (laughs) And you kind of milk as much as you can out of that thing. Well, you know, Jesus is teaching us that compassion is a part of what is in the Father's heart, and it was a part of Christ's heart all through his ministry, filled with compassion, sheep without a shepherd. He wants to heal. He wants to cleanse. He wants to minister, teach, and preach, and help them, and, of course, uh, cause belief to arise in their hearts. And so compassion is a part of forgiveness. Although we don't often think of forgiveness as having compassion, we think of maybe uh, anger or um, grief or sorrow or hurt, but compassion's in there too. Um, one Baptist pastor talked about an experience he had where he, uh, a, friend in, a Christian friend uh, had presented him an opportunity where he could double his money, kind of a thing, a little scheme, kind of a Ralph Cramden kind of a thing, you know, double your money and you never have to work again. You know who I'm talking about, Ralph Cramden? All right. <laughs> Always looking for a scheme, right? Needed a large amount of money. So he gave a large amount of money to this fellow, and like many of these get-rich-quick schemes, didn't pay off. Never got his, even the initial money that he put back in there. Uh, um, friend, a friend of ours up in Two Harbors got into a scheme like that where he was going to do this Internet sales stuff, and uh, they invested like $25,000, and it's gone. It's gone. Just so heartbreaking. Um, but you've got you to be careful with these kind of things. Well, this pastor in, the, in this other story um, recognized that he's never going to be able to pay me back what I gave him. You know, He can't. He'll never do it. And so he contacted him. He said, you know, I, I, I know you've been avoiding me for months because of this, and I know you can never repay me back what you promised. And as far as I'm concerned, you do not owe me anything. Let's rebuild our friendship. And they went on to do that. Now, that might be hard for many people because financial loss sometimes that can, really, can really hurt. But I think that's the principle that Jesus is teaching us here, that there can be forgiveness and there should be forgiveness, but it doesn't just diminish the debt. The, the, the pain and the hurt was real in that pastor's life, uh, but he didn't want it to become bigger than what was eternal, and that is his relationship with his brother in Christ. So forgiveness is not necessarily what it does for them as much as it is what it does for you. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me. It's what it does for you and I when we can forgive. The receiver of forgiveness is benefited, yes, but oh, when we extend forgiveness, how much it helps us. Sometimes we have to lay aside, and that's the key that we to see here. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We'll pause there. You know, this is not about forgiveness. I realize that. He's talking about standing firm in, in, the, in the race and, and, and not giving up, keeping your faith. But doesn't it sometimes seem that unforgiveness and a bitterness of soul and spirit can be a hindrance in our race for Christ, that it just weighs us down. And, and uh, I know there's two ladies in two harbors that have had a, uh, an embittered battle for, well, it was 25 years ago in 2006, so you do the math. But and it occurred because their daughters in the, in the two harbors high school, back when they were like juniors in high school, had a, had a squabble 
uh, and it never was resolved. And the mothers got upset, and they were good friends, uh, members of the church, believers. And from that point on till today, as far as I'm aware of, you know, we're done. We have, we have no fellowship at all. And uh, I thought, wow, my goodness, that just doesn't seem right. You know, it wasn't even like a, a get-rich scheme went bad, but something that seemed so small to rob us of so much joy. One preacher says, unforgiveness is a toxin. It poisons the heart and mind with bitterness, distorting one's whole perspective on life. Anger, resentment, and sorrow begin to overshadow and overwhelm the unforgiving person. It's a kind of soul pollution that inflames evil appetites and evil emotions. Another word for unforgiveness, I believe, is the word bitterness. You're in chapter 12. Go over to verse uh, 15 now of Hebrews chapter 12. We'll wrap up very shortly, I assure you. Got to make up for going a little bit long this morning. All right, verse, uh, verse 15 of Hebrews 12. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness. The word bitterness means has, uh, it's got the etymology of something that's sharp and prickly and pointed. A bitter root springing up, causing trouble, and by this many become defiled. It's, it's like those um, bull thistles. You ever step on one of those things on the, in the grass and your bare feet? Oh, man. It gives me shivers just thinking about how painful that is. Uh, that's kind of what I think of this bitterness. It springs up. And, of course, if you don't cut them down or treat them, what happens to those bull thistles? They get really big and start taking over, don't they? Patches in your lawn. You've got to do stuff to get rid of that. But that's kind of, I don't know if he's talking about bull thistles here. But the idea here is that it's a root of bitterness that starts out and it's prickly and it's painful. And if it's not dealt with right away, it'll just get bigger. It'll just get worse. It's like the dirty dishes in the sink. If you don't take care of them right away, do they get cleaned on their own? Does it get easier to clean them the longer they sit there? Yeah, no. Uh, all that stuff just gets harder and harder, and the longer it goes, the harder it is to, to clean it up. And so unforgiveness can be like that. Uh, and so forgiveness eliminates a lot of the, of the pain and suffering that really is needless, needless. And then a final thought I want to share with you is that forgiveness is a divine expectation of the forgiven. God expects us to forgive, Ephesians 4.32, because he, like the master in that parable, has forgiven us an unpayable debt. And so how much more can we pay or can we forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ who may have committed something against us that certainly hurts but is nothing compared to what we have done against God? In Jay Adams' book, and it's a book that I recommend, if this is an issue that maybe someone you're talking to is struggling with or maybe you're with your kids or, or, or whatever, uh, someone you can minister to, it's called From, From Forgiven to Forgiving uh, by uh, Christian counselor Jay Adams. It's a very good book. It's not a huge book, but really deals in more depth with this whole point, this whole principle of forgiveness, and um, um, I, I think it can be a real resource for someone struggling with that. Um, Forgiveness is the obligation of the forgiven, one of the things Adams writes in that book. Forgiveness is the obligation of the forgiven. So in summary, there's two ways we can deal with an offense. One was from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. I can cover it with love. I know they didn't mean it. I'm not going to let it bother me, and I'm just going to let it go. No, I'm not going to sing that song. (laughs) All right, and then the second way we can deal with it is to confront. They both begin with the k, k sound, right? Cover with love or confront. And that's the Matthew 18. Go to your brother, 
Tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. You want to hear you, take a witness to go the next time and, and talk to them. If they want to hear you, then bring it to the church, blah, 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 blah. You know how the process goes. You're in the process of winning back your brother and seeking restoration. If you can't cover it in love, then you have to confront. Now, if you do choose to cover it in love, you can't go around talking about it. Because that was what covered in love means. I'm done with it. I won't bring it up anymore. All right? I can't say, well, I covered it in love, and then say, you know, he didn't shake my hand Sunday, or he forgot my birthday, that kind of thing. You can't do both. You can't have it both ways. You've got to cover it in love and then drop it. And in a similar way, when you, when you confront and you work through the process and forgiveness is, is given and, and granted and all that, you can't bring it up again later down the road. Well, I'll, uh, you know, I remember back in 25 years ago, you were kind of mean to me. And yeah, we dealt with that, right? What are you holding on to that for? You have to release the bird of bitterness from our soul. Let it go. <laughs> Fly away and don't bother me anymore and, and deal with it in a biblical way. You know, and I've dealt with this idea of, of forgiveness, and I know each of you must have somewhere in your hearts, and it's just something that, um, that I, I see a lot in my own uh, contact with people and, and marriages and, and couples and, and uh, parents and their teenagers just dealing with this issue of forgiveness. It's such an important part of what makes us Christians. I mean, what does the world think when they see Christians squabbling and fighting and can't resolve conflicts? You know, the Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, you can't even resolve your own conflicts. How are you going to judge angels one day if you can't even resolve these little conflicts among yourselves in your own church and you're suing one another? And he said, don't be doing that. Resolve it biblically. Take care of it. Don't take care of these little things because God's got bigger things for you to take care of as you serve him in the next life. Uh, so I hope that can be a blessing to you, just something that uh, I've been working on in, in my life, and I wanted to share these thoughts with you. Um, cover it with love or biblically confront. they are the only two biblical options I see. And either way, God will honor and bless. And in, in the end, it's going to release you from that bitterness and the roots of bitterness that might spring up and, and bring uh, trouble to your soul.